0: If you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, I'm looking around, I guess I don't know everybody. So my name is Darren, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited that you could be with us. Have you found 1 Corinthians? We share this stuff with you, by the way, because it isn't me that does this, we do this. Like, they're in these villages. I was reading on Wednesday night at our night of worship, Acts 4.31. It was like, because we're on 4.31. Lewisburg Pike, like, and I wonder what Acts 4:31 says. And what Acts 4:31 says is that they were all together in one house, and they prayed, and the God shook the walls, and they proclaimed the word of God boldly. So that's a little, just a little extra tidbit for today. But. Um, but it goes on to say, and you know what? They pooled their resources and there was nobody in need because they were helping people. That's what our church gets to do here locally and around the world. That little building right there represents the changed lives of brothers and sisters who you may or may not meet this side of heaven, but I assure you, we'll have an awesome time worshiping forever, every tribe, nation and tongue, including Lugandan with us. So First Corinthians, I'm gonna read verses four through nine. Then I'm gonna jump ahead to verses 20 through 25, 28, 31. And then I'm gonna jump to chapter two, verse one. Um, if, if you're new around here, we, we read the word. Um, turns out that God's word is awesome and enough. And even if I just prayed at the end and we left, that it's still enough because God's word was proclaimed among us today. So these words inspired by the spirit, Paul was writing to his friends at a church called uh, Corinth, in a city called Corinth. And he says in verse four, I always thank my God for you. Hadn't seen him in a while. There was no text messaging or Facebook. So he's like, I miss you guys. And I thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, all kinds of knowledge. And God is thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then down to verse 20. He's talking to a group of people, by the way, in this church in a city called Corinth. Uh, sandwiched in between Athens, where he had just come from before he went to Corinth, which was all about philosophy and wisdom and libraries. And the Jewish people, which Paul was one of, and they might've felt like, man, we're not wise like the Jewish people, and, but we're not religious, I mean, wise like the, the uh, Greeks, but we're also not as religious as the Jewish people. And he's putting all that to resting. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Saying, look, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, you Athenians, and I appreciate your enthusiasm, you religious Jews, both of y'all missed it. And so I'm gonna use the foolish things of this world. And in verse 22, that Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It was a stumbling block to the Jews and it was foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then in verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. It's a good exercise for all of us who follow Jesus. Think of what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards, guilty. Not many were influential, also me. Not many were of noble birth, for sure not me. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And then in verse one of chapter two, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power." We talked for about a month about the story of shame, the story that Satan was authoring for your life. And we spent time on that because we wanted to know that that's not the story that Jesus was writing about you. And as I prayed about what we would do towards the end of this year to finish strong, it felt like what we need to do is take a look at, that's the story that is written about you that is not true of you. What is the story that is true of you? What is your story? When I say this is my story, it's not this emphasis on my, it is emphasis on this. This is my story. The story of I once was lost, now I'm found. The story of I was blind, but now I see. This story of redemption is my story and if you are in Christ, it is your story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom today from your word? We pray for your Light to shine in us, that the rhema word, the real live living word of God to be planted in our hearts and to grow the harvest that you promised that it could. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I think of the stories that Christ is writing in our lives, in each of our lives, I can think of no better story to start with than the story of uh, James and Becca Boyd. Would you mind taking a look at this?
1: Hello conduits. My name is James
2: and I am Becca Boyd and we have been attending conduit here for a little over four and a half years. Um, we've been married for over 20 years and we have five beautiful children and it may look like on any given Sunday, maybe we kind of have it all together. Um, but the truth is um, that would only be telling you part of our story.
1: Yeah. The truth is, is that our story has a very dark, uh, set of chapters in it and um, specifically uh, 13 years ago um, I made some poor sinful choices and was uh, unfaithful in my marriage to Becca and uh, that all came to light and pretty much instantly blew up uh, our marriage our life uh,
2: Lost our job
1: yeah I lost my job over it um, and it was an incredibly dark period for me and there were definitely days where I wasn't sure um, I wanted to go on. Uh, I thought that I had completely blown it and that there was no chance I could ever come back from this and that God, um, and I believed He had every right to, uh, and I believe I had every right to just completely cast me aside and, and never um, see any value in myself whatsoever. Um, but God had other ideas and He was uh, incredibly patient and kind uh, and gentle in revealing um, layers upon layers of, of darkness in my own heart. That needed to be sifted out. That unless um, that confession had happened, or that really um, I was confronted uh, and I'm forced to confess, if that hadn't happened, then I would uh, still be holding on to a lot of stuff. And that was the life that God wanted for me. Um, and what I learned was that confession brings healing and freedom, and that's what God wants. And uh, when sin stays in the darkness, it maintains its power. I remember that day was horrible, uh, but at the same time, I felt like such a weight was lifted off finally, uh, something that I'd been carrying for uh, years, and I was so thankful. And the other thing I realized too is that sin is such a patient, um, slowly destructive, insidious thing. I didn't wake up one day and just decide to blow up my marriage. It was through a series of compromises that uh, allowed that to happen, and I'm thankful for Becca and other people who came around me and loved on me and believed in me um, so that I could that road to healing
2: I wish I could say that I was just so forgiving and loving and godly Um, but the truth of the matter is is there were some really dark days and I didn't know if we could do this and um, but in also the kindness of God he started revealing areas of my own life From the standpoint of the arrogance, I I truly believed I could never do something like this. I would never do this to the people that I love, to my husband, to my children. Um, And what God started revealing to me was um, that he had to die for my sin also. And the darkness of the anger and the bitterness and even the murder in my own heart that was coming to the surface Jesus had to die for, and He revealed to me that my sin was also um, a place that He had to to die for. And that was the kindness of God in that for our story. And and truly, it was the church that gathered around us. They stood in the gap for us. On the days when we couldn't believe, um, they believed for us. And if it wasn't for the church on those days, we truly wouldn't be here, and I'm so thankful and so um, indebted, uh, truly, to the body.
1: Yeah, we found a group of people that knew everything about us yeah. and loved us anyway. That's why we're such big believers in community and community groups, because those people, if it weren't for them, um, we definitely wouldn't uh, be here today. We're so thankful for that. And you know, the other thing that I just want to leave you with is that um, God takes what sin tries to destroy make something beautiful out of it and if you choose to believe it'll be hard the road back is is sometimes painful and it's grueling but it is so worth it and we didn't we're not just surviving uh, we're thriving and we're thankful to a church family like conduit and leadership um, who can see a story like ours and know that god has redeemed it and uh, can give us places to serve and love on others and share our story and give people hope so that's our story thank you conduit
0: might recognize both James and Becca. Becca led our children's ministry for a number of years and led it very, very well. Um, James is a pastor at our church that deals mostly with our small groups. And uh, it's a beautiful story of redemption, a beautiful Jesus story. We're gonna hear more of those as the weeks go on. You know, it was uh, Orson Welles, who was probably the most misunderstood filmmaker of last century, who said that there, uh, no story has a happy ending unless you stop telling it before it's over. Now, Orson Welles was saying probably a little more eloquently what Jim Morrison said, the Doors, Jim Morrison, that one, um, when he said, none of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> and it's true, without Christ, what they're saying is actually very true, that if you stop telling it before it's over, it could be a happy ending, but all of us one day will step out of this life and it will end sadly. You know, Dave Shindell is with us this morning, but he was praying for Doc Maloof yesterday as he stepped into eternity. And standing next to uh, Doc Maloof was his father who had said goodbye to his own wife three years earlier to the exact day, had already said goodbye to another son had, and was saying goodbye to his son. So without Christ, what Orson Welles is saying is 100% true. There is no such thing as a happy ending. But in Christ, in Christ, you before the foundations of the earth were known. Your story didn't start when you were born. It started before you were born. In Christ, eternity is written on your hearts. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is writing this story, that in Christ, not only did you not start at birth, your life doesn't end at death. It just transitions to a better life, to a perfect life. That in Christ, that there's no such thing as a sad ending unless you stop telling the story before it's over. That's the promise of what the story of Jesus is in our own lives. We used to call this testimony time in my church growing up. Do you guys have testimony time? If you, Come on, church kids, you knew that, right? I, I kind of missed that, to be honest with you. Of course, I'm like, I'm a pastor, I could probably change that, but but, sorry. In hindsight, I think sometimes that Sunday night was testimony night because the pastor just ran out of stuff to say. I don't know how they do it, like one's hard enough for me, let alone Wednesdays and Sundays. But that time was a time where we got to share what God was doing in our lives. We might call it stories today, but testimonies is what we called it. It's actually what it's called in Revelation when he says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, the story of what Christ was doing in their lives. And what I wanna share with you in just the few minutes we have here today is that the power of that story of what Christ is doing, has done, continues to do, will do in your life. Paul's telling these people in Corinth to not forget where you came from. That it's an encouragement to others around you as well as to yourself. It's an encouragement to us. That it's also an apologetic, like it is a defense of your faith. Better than any gospel tract or Josh McDowell book, those are good things but your defense of your faith, of what Christ has done in you is way more powerful. And it brings glory to our Father all in this little story that he's writing about you, in you, of Christ, in you, the hope of glory. The encouragement to others, he says here in verse four, chapter one, when he's writing back to this church at Corinth, which had this amazing testimony of being a bunch of losers in the air dwells and blue collar and all. And now suddenly God is metamorphosing their lives. And he says, I always thank God for you when I think about you because of his grace that was given you in Christ Jesus. It's encouraging Paul. I'm thanking God for you. For in him, you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, all knowledge. God is thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Paul is saying, that's encouraging to me. Like you just thought you were just living your life every day, but God was using that to encourage me. And when you think about what we just, um, saw this morning, James and Becca shared their story. That was a courageous thing that they did to, to just lay it out there in front of a group full of people, and in this case, three groups, like three rooms. And, you know, Becca and I, we were texting last night, James and Becca and I, and, you know, she's, you know, some people they've shared the story with, but haven't shared it all the time. And they're, as much as they know it's good, they're still nervous. But let me ask you, when you saw that, Did you love them more or less after it was over? Did you respect them more or less when it was over? More. You're encouraged by it. Some of you were like, oh, man, me too. I felt that. I've been through that. You were encouraged thinking that that's confirming the story of the testimony of Christ in you. It was encouraging. So of course, Satan would want you to shut your mouth about what Jesus is doing in your life because it's a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You having the courage to stand up and say, this is what Jesus has done in me. It it, it inspires others to think, man, if if he could do it for them, maybe he would do it for me. There's an encouragement in that. And to shut up about it is doing nothing but to allow Satan in the story of shame to claim what Jesus is claiming as redemption in your life. And it encourages yourself. Anyone who has ever sat in a room and shared that story of that and felt the love that you feel back to you again knows exactly what I'm talking about. When... James talked about it being the best and the worst day of his life at the same time. Some of you know exactly what he's talking about. A moment when you finally said it all and I was, it was the worst because I finally said it all and it was the best because now I'm not carrying no more secrets. It's all out in the open and what a happy day it is. It's an encouragement also to yourself and it confirms our testimony about you. But what I love here is it says that as, you know, don't forget where you came from. It says he will keep you to the end, verse eight, so that you'll be blameless on the day of Jesus Verse nine, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. It's an encouragement to myself that my story doesn't end. I am not what I did. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The reminder that it doesn't end here, that Orson Wells is wrong. And it's an apologetic. It's a defense of your faith in Christ. He says in verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, he talks about how God chooses the foolish things of the world to confirm the wisdom. You know, he's using your story to confirm his story. That's what he's saying. And when you think about it, think about Paul. If you're a Bible student, okay, when he goes to Corinth, Corinth. Sorry, it's chapter eighteen of Acts, but just the chapter right before. He shows up in the city of Athens. Now think with me, if, if you're, you know, you're not really a Bible student, that's fine, but for you Bible students, think with me. He goes to Athens, which is the seat of knowledge, and philosophy, and Socrates, and libraries, and, and he gives a sermon. So you, know, you can even imagine, he's walking through the city. I mean, think of this, Connor, he's like walking through the city of Athens, he's seeing all these idols and these altars everywhere, and he's gonna, how do I preach the gospel to these people? And he sees one altar that says, to the unknown God, which in Greece, they had all these gods, thousands of them, and so they had altars everywhere. And there was this one altar that just in case we missed one, that covers it. And so Paul, walking through the city, he actually ties that together. He's making this very culturally relevant sermon. He is, as seminarians say, synthesizing the information. And he says to them, that altar to the unknown God, let me tell you who he is. He is the God, the creator. He preaches this amazing sermon that is still studied in seminaries to this day. It was eloquent and it was wise and it was culturally relevant. And at the end of Acts chapter 17, a handful of people believed. No church was started in Athens. There is no first and second Athens because there was no Athens church. Now, is it because that he didn't preach Jesus Christ and him crucified in that sermon. It it could be just simply that this is, you know, philosophers, they're a hard one to get to. It's an intellectual ascent, that's very possible. But it's not lost on me that he left Athens and went to Corinth and said, and I came to you in trembling and I didn't come to you with eloquent and wise words, I just came to you with Jesus Christ, him crucified and the power of God unto salvation, the testimony of God, that's all I came with you. And there was a church that was born at Corinth and sure they had troubles. We all do. If it weren't for their troubles, you wouldn't have 1 Corinthians. So I'm kind of grateful that they screwed up a whole bunch because it teaches us. The testimony of God that he shared just a couple chapters later, he goes from there to Ephesus and then from Ephesus, he goes to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he's being pulled out uh, he calls, I think what we would call in the, in the college grove, we called it a brouhaha. Do you know, do we have those? It's like just a big war unfolding. They're trying to kill him and fight him. And so the, the, the Roman guards are pulling him out to try to keep him safe. And before they get him away, he says, Hey, could I, could I say something to the people? In Acts chapter 22, verse one, he says, does he open with a, with a, a, an eloquent sermon for them? about how God and Jesus was Messiah through the scriptures. He'd done that before. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a good, that is a good sermon to preach. But he says, this is my apologetic, my apologia, brothers and sisters. This is my defense of my faith. And he just shared the story of what Jesus did in his life. I was on this road to Damascus and I was blinded and the, this prophecy happened in here and all I know is I used to kill Christians and now I am one. That was his testimony. And you can't take that away from him because it happened to him. There are things in your life that you think about it, what Jesus has done in you, that they can't take that away because it happened and you know it. It's a beautiful apologetic that bolsters your own faith and the faith of those around you. It's why it's important to remember from where you came. I mean, I'm... I don't mean to use this word offensively. I think because if you are one that you can say it or whatever, but I was just a white trash kid from middle of nowhere in Nebraska. And I didn't used to share that very much because it was an embarrassing part of my story and I didn't want anybody to know that. But by not telling people that, by not even letting myself believe that, I was stealing from Jesus this opportunity to say, but Darren, look where you came from. Look what Jesus did in your life. Because I can say with 150% certainty that without Jesus, I would not be standing here today, not just because I'm a pastor, but I wouldn't be here at all. But Jesus invaded my life. And by the way, he invaded my life because a little church was planted in the middle of nowhere, no-rent town. And that church came in and it changed the lives of people. Nobody else wanted to go there because there was no money there. I mean, Jace, Jace is from this town. When that pastor came to that town in 1980, it was in the middle of the recession that was starting. The cement plant had closed, the cheese plant had closed. There was no church. It was like a, a, a car mechanic and his wife and a single mom. That was the church. That's not a job, but that pastor came there. And because of that, by the way, By my count, over 50 people have grown up in that church, gone on into full-time or part-time ministry here and around the world in this little town of about 1,500 people because Jesus invaded their life. I have to remember from whence I came because Jesus can show that to me and to others and say, yeah, but look what Jesus has done for you. It's an apologetic in your life. And for those of you, by the way, that are in the middle of a situation right now that's even maybe bringing suffering into your life, Even that is an apologetic. When Greg Murtha stepped into eternity a couple of years ago, when we were in that hospital in Vanderbilt and there were people just worshiping the Lord in this room as he breathed his last breath. And I'm telling you, there were nurses and there were doctors going, man, what is going on in there? What is happening? Bryson, that's happening at Vanderbilt. There are doctors and there are little atheist and agnostic Vanderbilt students watching what's happening with Bryson as she is worshiping the Lord in the middle of suffering. Going, wait, how is that's different than any other room in here. And you know what that is? That is 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready to give an answer for the faith that you have. Now, We use that in apologetic circles, as like on all the websites, be ready to give an answer. And and you think of it as like the books and the intellectual ascents, but that's not the context of what it's saying it in. He's saying it in the context of people who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are being imprisoned, who are being pulled out of their homes and executed. He's saying to them, Anybody can suffer for doing something wrong, but when you suffer for doing something that's right, wow, that's, there's a story to tell there when the way that you're suffering and the way that they're looking at you going, why won't you hate me? Be ready to give an answer in that moment of the faith that you have. The fact that they're asking denotes that you are doing something that made them wanna ask that question. 1 Peter 3.15, your life, even if you're in the middle of it right now and you don't understand it, can still be the apologetic, the defense of your faith. And the short answer of saying that, and even on the other side of this, whatever it is that, like, and Bryson, this is real life. This isn't some ethereal thing on a whiteboard. This is your life right now, 16 years old, and fighting with this mystery illness and praising God in the middle of it. Be ready to give an answer for your faith, Bryson. It encourages others, and encourages yourself. It's an apologetic for your own faith. And man, does it bring glory to God. He says that no man can boast. Anybody that's boasting right now in anything in your own thing, it's just because you don't know your part in the story. It's because you don't know, I think it was R.C. Sproul Jr. that said, if what you get from Jesus hanging out with sinners is that you need to hang out with more sinners, you don't know your part in the story. You are the sinner that Jesus was hanging out with. Should we hang out with sinner? Absolutely, by the way. I am one, so I hang out with me, so I'm already. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a, But that's not the point Jesus was making in that story. To know your part in the story. To understand that you are the sinner that Jesus has come for. To, to look at the, the, Jesus left the 99 to go to the one. If you look at that and think it's unfair, you don't know your part in the story. There is no 99, there's only the one. We're all the one that Jesus went for. And when I know that part of my story, then Ephesians 2.10 makes an enormous amount of sense. You are his workmanship. His poema is the word in Greek his poem, his art, his creation, that you are saved by faith, by grace through faith. You're saved not by your works, lest any man should boast. That's what the Bible says, that we don't boast. What's Paul saying here in 1 Corinthians? That no man would boast in themselves, only that we could boast in our Father and what he's done for us. And here's how we boast with that. Has anyone been to an an art museum, right? Art people. And you look at the painting and you think, it's so beautiful. And what does it do? It glorifies not the painting, but the creator of it. Like, man, how does he do that? How does she write those songs? It's amazing to me. It's when you live out the Jesus story, you individually, me, you individually, are this Jesus creation, this art, and what is art but just the heart of the creator itself being lived out. When Paul talks about I am his testimony, tell your testimony. This is, what is the testimony? It's God what he's done in me. It's his art. You are his poema. And how dare us, says the painting, tell the artist. You know what? I'd like you to tweak this one a little bit. The perfect father, the perfect artist. And maybe a little encouragement if you don't like the painting that he's painting of you this morning, understand that the painter has holes in his hands. To use the metaphor of the potter, which he uses with the potter's wheel, and you think, man, I don't understand. It's like my world is spinning out of control. Understand that the feet of the potter have holes in them because he loves you and then what he's doing will be, Did any of your grandma's or your mom's cross-stitch? Some of you probably do cross-stitch, I'm sorry, maybe. <laughs> when you look at the back of a cross-stitch, what does it look like, a hot mess? All these knots, and it, but you turn it over like, oh. It's a welcome sign, or what, I don't know, whatever your grandma's cross-stitching. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that in what we do, that this side of heaven, the upside down world is that this upside down knots and stuff, but on the other side is this beautiful creation that God is creating for you. I mean, I'm looking around this room and I see all kinds of stories, some of them that are more obvious. Uh, Miss Phyllis, who just turned 29 again yesterday. She, she came to third service because she was out partying so hard last night. She slept in. Miss Phyllis' story encourages me. It encourages others around her. It's an apologetic. I think, man, if what God has done in her life, it just proves what, that there's a God. And, and at the end of the day, I, I can do nothing but say, God, glory to God for what he's done in the life of Phyllis. All glory goes to him. And I can look around this room and see so many of those stories that are happening. We're all in the middle of them. None of us are over until we breathe our last breath here do we open the next book of the trilogy, right? First book started before the foundations of the earth and then you were breathed into existence. So there's the second book of the trilogy. It's a short one, by the way, in the scope of eternity. All of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the miracles, all the good, the bad, and the ugly exist in this tiny little thing we call this side of heaven. And then one day we open the next book of the trilogy that your story is not over. Some of you will have longer stories. Some of you will have shorter. All of our days are numbered. That's what the psalmist says. You know that God wasn't surprised when Doc Maloof showed up yesterday. <laughs> he wasn't like, oh, oh, man, we didn't have, his room's not ready. We All his days were numbered and that was his day. Your days are numbered just like mine. And in Christ, there's way more in front of you than behind. In Christ, there's an eternity. And I must say this, that without Christ, Orson Welles is right because your story is sadder than you think. And if it's not, it's only because you're not being honest with yourself. But with Christ, your story is awesome. So I want to pray for you. And I want to invite, I don't know everybody, so I just want to make an invitation and say that if you don't have that relationship with Christ, the one where behold, all things are new, old things are passed away, the relationship where you are born again, starting this new life with Christ, if you don't have that you can. I'm not here to sell you an infomercial, tell you your life's gonna be awesome if you do it. That's just patently false. But I will say that by stepping into this, you begin to become the poema, the creation of Jesus himself for an eternity. That is an awesome story. So as I pray for us as a church family, understand about you, there's no no prayer to recite and then like a magic potion. That's not what I'm suggesting. But right where you are, you can pray and you can cry out and you can call upon the name of the Lord just right where you're sitting. And pray and invite him to change you from the inside out, to believe in your heart, you did this for me, to receive that free gift of salvation Grace isn't the starting point, it's the whole point. It's not by works, lest anyone would boast. Only through his work that you could become his poema. And I want you to have that opportunity this morning. So as I'm praying for us as a church family, you can call upon the name of the Lord right where you're sitting. And maybe we could talk afterwards, or if not, you know what, my email is, I'm the worst kept secret in Nashville, darren at conduitchurch.com, super easy to find me. As we pray, and if you're praying that prayer this morning, I dare you to email me, to tell me, because I'd love to get together and pray with you individually and just see what Jesus is doing in your life. Jesus is doing so many great things in so many lives, and I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good and so kind. And I can speak for myself, Lord, man, what an amazing story you've been writing. What an amazing poem you've been writing in my little life. And I know in this room, it's just full of your amazing stories. And So today, Lord, would you, for those maybe that are praying right now, for you to come into their life, for their hearts to be made new, for the gospel to invade their own hearts. Oh, that you would speak so clearly to them right now, Lord. And for those that maybe have been following you for a while that maybe have just forgotten our story could we be like the church at Corinth and say yeah let's let's remember where we came from we must remember that today and god maybe just maybe someone in here somebody's in here need to go share that story with someone else so that that story could encourage themselves and encourage the people around them and become just an amazing apologetic of you and your work in our lives and that ultimately we can all bring glory to you the ultimate story teller in jesus name we pray amen